Just in case you've lost track, and if so, don't worry, you're definitely not alone. Israel is slowly exiting lockdown number two. Some experts warn that it's way too soon. Others say it's long overdue. And honestly, it's hard to know what to think, or whom to believe. Meanwhile, here on our show, we're also in the process of emerging from COVID land, which was the focus of the first half of our season. Last episode, we spent the entire hour with the dreamer. And today, now that we're all wide awake, we went out to the street in search of some much-needed good cheer. What makes you laugh these days? Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, freestyle dancing in the living room. A good book uh, I'm reading. Seeing our baby developed and smiles and just trying to focus on those things. <laughs> Grown-ups with mustaches. What makes me laugh these days? I guess only a man falling out of the banana, the old school stuff. And the hot? Jokes. Can you tell one? Can you tell a joke? The hot specific? I don't really know. I don't laugh very much at the moment. Nothing. Nothing. I don't remember last time I left. Well, 2020, you know. If somebody laughs, I laugh. It's very simple. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I'm Ishi Harman, and this is Israel Story. Our episode today, The Last Laugh. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. MDS, we have ignition, we have a liftoff. In 1977, the famous Golden Records were launched into space upon Voyager 1 and Voyager 2. Very smooth flight, very, very small attitude disturbances. They contained a sort of time capsule. A message meant to introduce Earth and humans to any extraterrestrial civilization that might someday encounter them. As the Secretary General of the United Nations, I send greetings on behalf of the people of our planet. We step out of our solar system into the universe seeking only peace and friendship to teach if we are called upon, to be taught if we are fortunate. A group led by Carl Sagan debated for almost a year what should go on the records. They ended up including images, anatomical drawings, astronomical maps, mathematical definitions, technical diagrams, pictures, and also, of course, a lot of sound. Songs of humpback whales, crickets and frogs, brainwaves, a musical mixtape ranging from Mozart Chuck Berry, and spoken greetings in 59 different human languages. Assalamu alaikum. Hola y saludos a todos. Konnichiwa. Sonadaka. Salvete kwikum. Namaste. Hello from the children of planet Earth. Shalom. U.S. President Jimmy Carter added his own message, in which he wrote, This is a present from a small, distant world. A token of our sounds, our science, our images, our music, our thoughts, and our feelings. We are attempting to survive our time, so we may live into yours. 
That message and those records left our solar system more than 15 years ago. They're now billions of miles away, the most distant man-made objects in space. And they are, as far as we know, still waiting to be discovered. Lehavdil, as my mom would say, here at Israel's Story we're trying, in a tiny, tiny way, to do something kind of similar, to capture the essence of a country. We go all around Israel, hear stories, collect tape, and then send it out on the internet and over radio waves for people around the world to hear. But our story today is about an Israeli aiming much higher, someone who's trying to capture the essence of humanity, and much like Sagan, send it into outer space. So the story starts as follows. It was Sunday evening. I was in my studio with a a very close friend, Guy, and really we're chilling. Our producer Yoshi Fields will take it from here. Eyal Gever has a Jerry Garcia beard, long black curly hair, and noticeably broad shoulders. He's soft-spoken, but also, weirdly, has a larger-than-life vibe. And on that Sunday evening in 2014, he and his friend Guy were, as Eyal says, simply chilling. Then his phone rang. I get a contact on WhatsApp. Oh, yeah, it was Skype, I don't remember. Either way, the man on the other end of the line was an official-sounding American who said, My name's Jason Dunn. Jason Dunn. Jason Dunn? They all racked his brain, but came up empty. He didn't think he knew any Jason Dunn's. But Jason just plowed ahead with a bombshell of a message. We're on a mission to represent what humanity does and what humanity is. Jason said he worked for the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, otherwise known as NASA. And I remember returning with my chair back to Guy looking here and said, is this for real? Jason explained that he was one of the co-founders of a new program called Made in Space that was exploring how humans might one day live in outer space. As a very first step, they concluded, we'd need to be able to manufacture things out there. So Jason and his team had recently installed a 3D printer on the International Space Station and were already printing different objects, mainly very practical things for the astronauts to use. Tools and spare parts and upgrades to the spaceship and all that kind of stuff. But it occurred to the Maiden Space team that if humans would ever actually colonize space, they'd surely need and want more than just practical tools. They'd want to create. One of the most fundamental things that humanity is, is is our art. And we need a way to capture that. And that's what brought Jason to call Eyal. We want to commission an art piece. Yeah, they wanted Eyal, a relatively unknown artist from Tel Aviv, to do something no one had ever done before. To make the first art piece that would be manufactured in space. Jason sounded serious and confident enough that Eyal was pretty sure this wasn't a joke. But still, he could barely believe what he was hearing. They were asking him to become the first artist that will produce a piece of art in space, literally, will fabricate it in space. Now, as you're about to hear, many unusual things had happened to Ayal over the years. But this, a personal call from NASA offering him to be a space pioneer, was a first, even for him. It was one of those Forrest Gump moments. <laughs> and I said, absolutely, uh, you know, extremely honored. While it was definitely surprising that NASA approached him, of all people, in many ways, Eyal was uniquely qualified for the mission. The world doesn't really need another painter. What's unique about me is my ability to sort of combine right brain, left brain. 
He was born in 1970 in Tel Aviv into a family that was deeply impacted by the Holocaust. His father, Yitzhak, was born during World War II in Romania, and his family spent the war on the run. His mom, Hanna, was born in a DP camp in Germany right after the war ended. Both of them suffered from lifelong trauma and depression. For years, his mom was in and out of hospitals. But growing up, Eyal never let any of that bring him down. Quite the opposite. For him, the pain and resilience he saw was a motivator. Yes, we have all the rights and the reasons to complain and to be angry, but strive to create greatness. And as a kid, Eyal often felt that potential for greatness most acutely when he was doing one of two things. The first was painting. I painted nonstop. And the second was looking up to the heavens. You're looking at something that so many other people looked at before. Um, It makes you humble. Like artists and stargazers around the world, Eyal was often lost in his thoughts. I was a very shy boy, very, very shy. And one day I went to Akko Festival. The year was 1986. Eyal was 16, and trying to seem tough, he didn't bring a sleeping bag for the overnight stay. But at the end of a performance by one of his favorite bands, the alternative rock group Tattoo, a minor miracle occurred. As he stood shivering in the dark, a cute girl about his age walked over. Her name was Sharon. They began chit-chatting, and had he not been so nervous, what happened next would have been the ultimate fantasy of any festival-going teenage boy. She offered me to, nothing happened, but she did offer me to be underneath her sleeping bed. And I was so embarrassed, so half of the night I explained her about all the stars. His knowledge of the Big Dipper and Cassiopeia must have left a lasting impression on Sharon, who, eight years later, would become Eyal's wife. During those eight years, Eyal continued to paint and continued to look up at the skies. He finished high school, served in the IDF, first as a paratrooper and then in Mamram, an elite computing unit, and enrolled at the Beit Salel Academy of Art and Design in Jerusalem. But if he initially seemed destined for a career in art or astronomy, that all changed during his first year at Beit Salel. See, something else caught his attention a new invention that seemed to be ushering in a worldwide revolution. An online network called Internet. Announcing something you've never seen before in an inexpensive Macintosh. The Internet. Everything was moving at the speed of light, and Eyal, always in pursuit of greatness, wanted to ride this exciting new wave. I found myself really interested in this new Internet thing. He had an idea and set up a makeshift office in his living room. The startup he opened was called Zappa. And by his third year at university, they were on the verge of becoming one of the first tech giants in Israel. It was Instagram before Instagram. He created these little animated subroutines, which today we know them as emojis. And uh, he actually, I guess you could say, was the inventor of, of the emoji vision that was way ahead of its time. That's John Scully. I'm a former CEO of Apple. The former CEO of Apple. And when he wasn't busy quarreling with a young Steve Jobs, Scully would scout out talented whiz kids around the world. That's how he came across Eyal. I met Eyal back in the mid-1990s. He was on the cover of a computer magazine out in Silicon Valley. Eyal looked the part of an aspiring entrepreneur. Well, he had long hair, uh, and he was a very handsome young guy. He's clearly a pioneer as well as uh, you know, a dreamer. And indeed, Eyal was dreaming big. Before long, he dropped out of Bitzalel in order to focus on his company full-time. 
A couple years later, Zappa was already too big to manage from Israel. So Eyal moved to New York to be closer to all the dot-com action. And found myself in this roller coaster journey of, uh, of the early days of startups. And uh, it was amazing. He spent a weekend up in Maine with Yahoo founder Jerry Yang, hung out with Jeff Bezos, presented on stage with Mark Cuban. And before his 27th birthday, Zappa already had offices in Tokyo, Palo Alto, and Tel Aviv. A fourth branch in New York was located in Scully's own offices. I had 19 Israelis in my office. And I remember everybody's yelling at everybody. And I'm saying, yeah. Is everything okay? They don't seem to be getting along. He said, no, 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 we're Israelis. That's, that's, that's what we do. <laughs> Eyal was a poster boy for Startup Nation long before that was even a term. In 2001, Zappa was valued at $170 million. And some of the top media and internet companies in the world, like AOL and Vivendi Universal, expressed interest in buying them out. In other words, Eyal was flying high. Money was flowing and the world seemed to be at his fingertips. But then... The dot-com honeymoon is coming to a close in many parts of the world. Here they come to sell them again. Nine half straight night, 20 straight night, even straight here. Dot-coms have become dot-bombs. 300,000 tech jobs are now gone. It's described as nothing short of breathtaking, a points drop never before seen on the U.S. market. It's going down and down and down, <laughs> never stop. In a matter of three months, uh, the dot-com crashed. I had to lay off around 100 people. And here I find myself, the feeling was that I don't have control of my life. Um, you know, reality is much bigger and stronger. Overnight, basically, Eyal's meteoric rise turned into a freefall. And to make things even worse, he tore a muscle in his back, landing him in bed for eight long and agonizing weeks. I don't know if it was a psychological reaction or not, being in bed, you know, you kind of um, self-investigate yourself. It's like a mental cleansing. And as he lay in bed, Eyal took stock of his life. For the past few years, he calculated, he had spent more time on planes and in airports than at home. And what did he have to show for all his work? What was the meaning of it all? The biggest revelation was that I said, shit, your company is going to die. It's everything you've created. It's all software. If you don't maintain the software, it will fail. And if the company is going to die, all your creation will die with it. Eyal had worked so hard to leave his mark on the world, but all he'd managed to create was a bunch of soon-to-be-obsolete code. He could keep trying to attain greatness in the traditional sense, money, fame, another tech company, but the impermanence of it all troubled him. What, he wondered, could be the opposite of that? And his answer took him right back to his early love, art. All my life I was destined to be an artist. This is my passion. This is sort of my destiny. Art, he reasoned, would leave something more permanent. Something tangible. Ten years, one exit, and many adventures later, Eyal exhibited his first art installation at the Alon Segev Gallery, a small contemporary art gallery in Tel Aviv. It was all sculptures. It was made from a 3D printer. That's Alon Segev, the owner of the gallery. Eyal was using his knowledge and his technology to curate art. And that was really something new in the Israeli art field. And I thought, uh, this is the future. The exhibition was called Sublime Moments. And following Eyal's post.com crash insights, it was all about capturing fleeting moments and making them permanent. Using advanced computer simulations, he recreated collisions waves crashing, 
walls crumbling, trucks speeding into each other head on. And then, as if playing God, he froze the frame and printed a 3D image of it. Really powerful. It was so beautiful. The exhibition was a hit and quickly sold out. Which was very surprising. But more than that, it was surprising that it touches people's hearts, especially people from the technology world. It was as if I'm talking in their language. Their aesthetics to me is like if time would hold its breath for a moment. Eva Karcher, an influential critic from Germany, was immediately intrigued by this newbie artist who captured seemingly uncapturable moments and fashioned them into exquisite polymer sculptures. Once more, Eyal was at the cutting edge of his field. Eyal Gewehr is one of these very, very rare artists ahead of his time. What Eyal is talking now is going to happen in a couple of years. This is something that I always feel with about Eyal. 100%, yes. <laughs> he had made a big first splash, sure. But even he knew that these conceptual art science creations probably weren't going to make him the next Picasso. He is an outsider, and I guess if you talk about him or uh, mention his name, most of the art community here in Israel still doesn't know him. Reut Barnea, an arts and culture journalist for the Israeli daily Kalkalist. He's not uh, one of the artists that you see in every group exhibition and museum and stuff like that. Which is exactly why that phone call from NASA in 2014 came as such a shocker. But Alon Segev, the gallery owner, wasn't really surprised. When you know Eyal, when you know him for quite a time, these things can happen to Eyal. These things can happen to Eyal. And I guess he's right, because that single phone call, well, it changed the life of this tech wonder kid turned conceptual artist. Eyal now faced his greatest professional challenge to date. Here's Jason Dunn from NASA once again. You know, I think for him as an artist, being given the chance to create the first piece of art off of planet Earth, it's a first. And it's a really big first. The more I dived into it, the grandiose, this, the sort of weight of the opportunity started to grow on me because I knew that it's very easy to fuck up and to fail. To begin with, Jason enumerated a long list of technical restrictions. The object had to be made out of a certain material. It had to be no bigger than a certain size. It needed to be a specific shape and weight and consistency. But it wasn't any of these specs that gave Eyal pause. He was tasked with creating art that would be printed and kept in the International Space Station. In other words, it would forever reside in space. Out there, things don't decay as they would here on Earth. Neil Armstrong's iconic footprints are still on the moon. One small step for man. There's no wind to blow them away. One giant leap for mankind. Destruction and deterioration occur on a different timescale, that of planets colliding, suns exploding, and black holes collapsing into themselves. This artwork would, therefore, outlast countless generations, possibly all of humankind. In fact, barring any unforeseeable calamity, it would float around till our sun runs out of hydrogen, expands, and then dies, all in about five billion years from now. Now, a work of art is a statement, a representation of an idea. And what idea, they all now had to decide, was important enough that it was worth tattooing forever on the face of our galaxy. They all carefully assembled a team, which included artists and tech people from around the world, one of them was Ben Grabina from the video platform Polonize. Okay, so 
you know, what are we going to create in space? And how do we make sure that we give a true representation of humanity? How do you represent humanity with all its complexities and divisions? Just like Carl Sagan nearly 40 years earlier, Eyal had to distill the essence of humanity, the essence of our planet. And then he had to condense that essence into a 10 by 10 centimeter piece of polycarbonate. I believe that, you know, the role of an artist is to tell the story of the time that he or she are alive. That's one thing. And the second thing I think it's to push the language of art forward. Eyal started working on the blueprints in his studio, which feels more like an art bunker of sorts. A dark room with colorful LED lights and six buzzing supercomputers. His idea? A physical representation of sound. I wanted to create a shout out to space. And I thought to myself, what is the ultimate sound, human sound that I connect to? His first intuition was to go with something inspirational. Let there be justice for all. He chose Nelson Mandela. Let there be peace for all. The sun shall never set on so glorious a human achievement. But the more he thought about it, the more he realized he didn't want it to be language or culture specific. I knew that I wanted to be something which is totally universal. And then to me, it was the sound of a woman orgasm. Not from the sexual point of view. It's really the forces that drives love, that drives a relationship, that brings life. And I remember I was sitting in London with two friends of mine, and I told them, they looked at me and said, it's an awesome idea, there's no way NASA is going to go for it. Back to the drawing board. Ayal talked to anyone who would listen, friends, family, and colleagues. He asked for ideas, he brainstormed. And then, one day in 2015, in a conference room in London. One of my friends, uh, he's the spoken word artist, Sully Brakes. He was sitting there in the room. And he looks at me and he says, yeah, why won't you do a human laughter? And boom. We'll be right back. And now, back to our story. We left off with Eyal, finally hitting upon an idea for his space art. An idea that captured something utterly universal. Something basic. Fundamental. Laughter. And the more he thought about this choice, the more he loved it. All humans laugh. And um, it's the most beautiful gesture humans have. But how do you 3D print laughter? Okay, back to Yoshi. Eyal decided he would create a sculpture of the sound wave of a laugh. A laugh star, he called it. But how would he choose the laugh? He could have taken his own laugh. Journalist Rayup Barnea, once again. But he really wanted something that a lot of people identify with. He wanted everyone to be able to participate. Plus, who was he to choose the laugh of all laughs? So what he decided to do is uh, create his own app. And he asked uh, people all around the world using the app to send a sound of their laugh. On December 1st, 2016, Eyal released his newly designed app, Hashtag Laugh. Once you downloaded the app, a twirling 12-sided shape appeared on your screen. And the space-like music you're hearing in the background started to play. 
a welcome message let you know that you are about to create a star using only your voice. You enter into an art installation. You're going through a journey of, uh, of feelings. Below the spinning shape, there was a red record button that allowed you to record for up to eight seconds. I didn't give any trigger to make you laugh. I wanted it to be your reason, not a slapstick joke that will make you laugh. So when folks were ready, they'd press record and start laughing. <laughs> and then, in real time, long, multicolored, crystal-like forms would shoot out from the shape. It was a visual representation of each person's own unique laugh. When you laugh, your voice paints a laugh star which contains the mathematical data of your laughter. Once a new laugh star was created, it would slowly fly away into the dark sky on the screen, where it would join all the other laugh stars created by other users. The app then prompted you to go on a virtual interstellar stroll, navigating through outer space, clicking on stars as you passed them, and hearing all the various laughters. <laughs> There was something infectiously optimistic about this app. You could hear the entire world laughing together. And as you perused this library of human laughter, you could vote for laugh stars that you think deserve to represent humanity. Almost immediately, the competition took off. The app became extremely viral. It was featured on CNN. So let me show you how it works. Wired Magazine. And I came up with the idea, how about making a shout out to space? Nice. Please welcome Eyal Gever. Hashtag laugh quickly became a global meme. 300,000 laugh stars were recorded from 150 countries. <laughs> Babies submitted their laughs. Old people submitted their laughs. Even dogs submitted their laughs. The competition was open for 31 days. And for most of that time, it seemed like a two-way race between an older man's deep, almost crackling laughter and the sweet, innocent laughter of a baby. And that's when Nadia Stenko enters our story. I mean, I was competing against a, a baby laughing, and I thought, there's no way, like, you know, how can I compete against a baby? Nadia was 26 at the time and was living in a small town in Washington state. I was kind of at a time in my life where I was really, you know, alone and I wasn't really surrounded by, you know, close friends. She had grown up in a conservative Catholic family with rigid rules. Rules that she felt had never fully allowed her to be herself. I had just moved out from my parents. I had just broken free from this sort of, like, very strict uh, household. But more than free, this newfound independence made her feel lonely. Being away from people that, you know, I knew and that I loved and, and trying to recreate that happiness on my own, I think was hard. It sort of created a um, massive depression upon me. Soon, that depression of hers turned dark. It got to the point where she wasn't sure life was worth living anymore. Very scary. Very, very scary. And from those depths, Nadia reached out to an old friend. See, like Ayal, she had spent much of her childhood gazing at the stars. It's such an inexplicable feeling to feel part of something so much bigger than yourself. And now, in her hour of sorrow, she reconnected with space. One night, alone in her bed, she was reading Apple News. An article about NASA caught her attention. They were creating the first piece of art in space. And I was just kind of like, damn, like, that's really cool. Like, that's happening. And then the further I kept going through the article, 
I realized, like, this is like an open competition to people. Nadia decided to submit her laugh. I had about six or seven days left to submit and enter into the competition. I'm just like, well, if I want a shot, I have to create something like now. But given her state of mind, laughter wasn't such an easy thing to summon. I mean, the thing is, is it's, it's hard because, you know, I was alone. How do you make yourself laugh when all you want to do is cry? Yeah. I mean, trying to laugh by yourself would just make you go absolutely mad and make you go crazy. But the very idea of laughter in space was too otherworldly, too intoxicating to miss. Like a seasoned method actor, she came up with a concept and storyboarded it. So the idea was, you know, this like pool party kind of thing, and, and I created it actually in my bathtub. Casting herself as the queen of this imaginary pool party, Nadia filled up the tub and got in. And then I kind of just went with like, you know, picturing myself swimming on this blue planet, you know, with like my best friends and like splashing each other and, you know, spitting water at each other. For the next few hours, yes, you heard that right, hours, she gurgled and splashed around alone. Her fingers and toes began to prune, but Nadia took her time. She was trying to access an elusive inner feeling of pure and spontaneous happiness. So that's kind of where uh, I was at, in my bathtub. <laughs> then, finally and suddenly, she felt a sensation of joy rising from deep within her belly. She quickly pressed record. <laughs> Eight seconds. That's it. It's funny. There, there are noises in there that are kind of like, what is that? You know, it's kind of like this weird, like, whoosh, like washes of noise. And it's, yeah, it's, it's actually water. Nadia got out of the tub and sent her laughter into the dark expanses of cyberspace. And as it made its virtual voyage to join all the other laugh stars, something magical happened. Nadia, who had spent so many teary days in bed, sprung into action. She got out of the house, asked random people on the street to vote for her star, started interacting with strangers online. And amazingly, her pool party laugh resonated with people and began climbing in the standings. As the competition neared its end, Eyal, back in Israel, was pretty sure that a child laughter would win. I looked at YouTube like the most popular laughs were kids. And yet, as the final hours counted down, the depressed 26-year-old Nadia came from behind and took the lead. A few weeks later, she got a phone call. Hello. Hi. So, I'm Eyal. <laughs> Here is uh, what I'm going to tell you. You are the human being whose laughter is going to represent humanity in space forever. I was still trying in my head to like remind myself, like, Nadia, like, be calm. We're going to print your laughter in space. It was just like pure adrenaline through my system. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like... I don't know, it's just, it's crazy. Like, I feel really, 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 really um, special to be part of this. To me, um, it's like the ultimate love letter to the universe. The ultimate love letter to the universe. It's the most beautiful thing that, you know, Ayo would choose laughter. I mean, <laughs> I would, gosh, I think it's something to live for. When they spoke on the phone, Eyal was completely unaware of Nadia's backstory. He only found out about her depression later on, 
long after her laugh had won. But for him, it was the perfect twist. See, he had set out with the seemingly impossible goal of representing the essence of humanity. He had chosen laughter, but just as easily, he could have gone with a cry, also something we all share, something he knew all too well from his parents' long struggle with depression. And somehow, cosmically almost, the world had voted for an entry that was, at once, both a laugh and a cry. Life is not perfect. Sadness is an equal part of happiness, and cry is an equal part of laughter. I think it touches the deepest side of our souls because it symbolizes something really, really sad, covered with a lot of beauty. If you didn't cry, if you didn't experience extreme pain, you wouldn't know what extreme joy was either. So you can't have one without the other. Ayal quickly designed the physical representation of Nadia's laugh. You can go to our website and judge for yourself, but here's how some of those involved described it. The winning shape was actually a sphere. Like a little ring or something. Looks kind of like a donut, and the spikes are around the outside. Super cool. This magnificent spiky donut was scheduled to be printed in space on February 10th, 2017. It was Friday. I was here in the studio around midnight Israel time. All systems are good. Nadia's laugh code, as they called it, was carefully written. All its algorithms were checked, double-checked, and triple-checked. In the Mission Control Center in California, Jason and his Made in Space team performed countless trial runs, printing dozens and dozens of Nadia donuts here on Earth. They knew the sculpture in and out, layer after layer. And orbiting hundreds of miles above them, the astronauts aboard the International Space Station were on standby hovering around a one-of-a-kind 3D printer and its secret plastic material that would soon be formed into Nadia's love letter to the universe. Ayal couldn't see the space station, but the coordinates on his computer indicated that it was, just by chance, almost directly above Israel. A project that had taken three whole years, which started off a worldwide search for the perfect laugh and which utilized NASA's most advanced technological equipment, was finally about to reach its climax. All systems are good. Four, three, and then, two, one. Uh, we literally sent them the file, you know, send them an email to space. Three months later, Eyal got an email from NASA. It was a link to a video. He pressed play. Inside of the space station, Nadia's laugh star was slowly spinning around and around in zero gravity. Behind it, in the background, was a trapezoid-shaped window looking out at a big blue ball, Earth. How did it feel to watch it? Goosebumps, yeah. And I haven't shown it, nobody. Eyal had taken on the gargantuan task of representing all of humanity in outer space. And yet, this image felt personal. I think it's too precious um, to just post it, and I just don't know how to release it. A few months after I first interviewed him, I called Ayal and suggested that maybe the release of the story on the podcast was a good opportunity to finally share the video. And well, Israel Story listeners, if you head to our site, israelstory.org, you can be the very first to watch the clip. You're looking at this beautiful object floating in zero gravity. So future intelligence of humans or other intelligence could decipher this sort of uh, message in a bottle. 
And here, probably the most beautiful expression we have as humans. And in that metaphorical bottle, which will forever be spinning in space, is something that is both eternally permanent and inherently impermanent. With all the ups and downs down here on Earth, in the silence of space, Nadia will forever be laughing. I feel like my life has been created as this, like, ultimate cosmic joke. A cosmic joke of one human who figured out how to laugh in space and cry on Earth. Yoshi Fields. As Yoshi mentioned, go to our website, israelstory.org, to see the video of Nadia's laughter spinning around inside the International Space Station. Greetings and friendly wishes to all who may encounter this voyager and receive this message. My dear friends in outer space, As you probably know, my country is situated on the west coast of the continent of Africa, a landmass more or less in the shape of a question mark in the center of Par-delà le soleil, par-delà les éthers, par-delà les confins des sphères étoilées, mon esprit, tu te meus avec agilité, et comme un bon nageur qui se pâme dans l'onde, tu sillonnes gaiement l'immensité profonde. What makes you laugh these days? My, ba- my baby, my baby. <laughs> What makes me laugh? Um, my dog, probably. <laughs> yeah. Cats. My dog. My dog. Pandas. My two dogs. Sarcasm. That's it at the moment. Loopers and basketball. Well, I guess I have fun with my girlfriend. We make each other laugh. Um, and then when I laugh too hard, I, my laugh kind of reminds me of my father's laugh, and then I stop laughing. Um, friends. 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 My childhood friend, Gilly. I think we just have so many stories together. Um, tinkling. What? Tinklish. It's tinklish. It's ticklish. Tickling. Tickling. Okay. Tickling. The absurds of, of the whole situation. Because the government. The government. Uh, what else? Hmm. Russian uh, social networks uh, videos. No, I don't speak Russian. I wake up, laugh, and then I start my day. <laughs> Joel Shupak scored this episode with additional music by Blue Dot Sessions, Neoraka Kohn, and Hadas Frankel. Sela Weisblum mixed it all up. A massive thanks to Yoav Orot who heroically salvaged this episode following an unfortunate hard drive crash, to Maya Kosover who originally pitched this story and interviewed Eyal with Yoshi, to Danny Levy who gave us great feedback, and as always to Wayne Hoffman, Esther Werdiger, Sheila Lambert, Erica Frederick, Jeff Fagg, and Joy Levitt. If you're one of the many new Israel Story listeners, first of all, welcome. And secondly, we hope you go back and listen to all our previous episodes, wherever you get your podcasts. 
You can also follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all under Israel Story. And while you're at it, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter. All you have to do is go to israelstory.org slash newsletter. Israel Story is produced in partnership with Tablet Magazine. Our staff is Yochai Meital, Zev Levi, Yoshi Fields, Skylar Inman, Joel Shupak, Sharon Rappaport, and Rotem Tzin. Jeff Umbro from the Podglomerate is our marketing director. Marie Ruder, Clara Fug, Michael Vivier, and Alicia Vergara are our wonderful production interns. I'm Mishi Harman, and before we go, a short message for a very special listener. David Manzano from New York. Happy birthday, Daddy! We love you! Okay, happy birthday, David, and we'll be back very soon with our next episode. So, till then, stay safe, keep on laughing, shalom shalom, and yalla bye! Come on, fall.